It's so good to be here. We got a good morning plan. We've got a uh, couple announcements before we dig in. Our, in fact, we've got a uh, our. A lot of you guys know that we have a college ministry uh, that we support, a campus ministry called Chi Alpha. They're actually on retreat this morning, so a lot of our Chi Alpha kids are are out. Uh, they're on a, a retreat a couple hours away, and uh, but I told uh, their leaders, Briggs and Anike, I said, look, our church is constantly praying for you guys. God is doing something in us. He's doing something in this church family. He's doing something at Four Corners. He's also doing something uh, in campuses all over the U.S. God's at, at work in some really real and some, some special ways, and uh, he's at work at UAH, and so, which is where the campus ministry is, and so... He told us some pretty cool things that happened this weekend already, and then to just keep praying for them that what God wants to do at UAH and what God wants to do here, that God does. So those of you that pray, those of you guys that pray for our church, keep them in your prayers. They've, they've got a, some really neat things that are going on there. Also, this morning, we've got um, uh, baptism right after service. We'll dismiss, and those uh, that are being baptized will meet up here, and we'll uh, have baptism this morning. Uh, those of you, I'd love for everybody that wants to stay, I'd love for you to stay and celebrate with us. There's nothing like a good uh, celebration at church for people that are going public with their faith and for their, uh, for the, Jesus' command to be baptized. And so we want to celebrate. Scripture says this, that there's a party in heaven just when one person comes to faith. Just one person. All the angels in heaven. I don't know how many angels that is. I think it's a lot. I'd, I would guess, I'd guess more than the amount of people that are here. There's a lot. Think about this. All the angels in heaven rejoice just when one person turns to the Lord. And so we want to celebrate here. I think, uh, I think this goes not just for our church, but for uh, just believers in general. I, don't, I just honestly, I don't think we party enough. And, um, and so we're going to celebrate this morning. So very proud of those that are going to be baptized this morning. Uh, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you've not yet been baptized, can I just tell you, even if you haven't uh, told us this morning that you would like to be baptized, I, I want to invite you. Uh, you're welcome to do that this morning. And uh, we can talk to you about that uh, just after service. We've got uh, a shirt for you and a towel for you and even some flip-flops if you need them. And, uh, and so I want to invite you to do that. Uh, so, hey, we're going we're gonna to dig into uh, a, a series that we're starting up this morning. Uh, it's called uh, Giving Up. Giving Up. Everybody say giving up. Yeah. How to make space in your life for God's best. How to make space in your life for God's best. How many of you guys want God's best in your life? Yeah, let me see your hand. Yeah. How many of you, guys, how, how many of you want God's best uh, in your family? What about at work? What about just God's best? How many of you want God's best? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, we've got a, a special guest this morning who's going to be preaching. Our very own Joel Fritz is in the house. He's bringing the heat. He's bringing the word. I'm so glad the, the Fritz has uh, moved from Phoenix by way of Italy um, and landed here uh, uh, and started coming to Four Corners about a year ago. And um, you can repeat this if you'd like in a minute, but I don't, I don't get to preach, so i got to get all my words out. Um, and so, uh, but it was so glad to have the Fritzes with us. They've, they've joined and been a part and just dove in and uh, have become uh, more, they, they've become church family, but also friends. And so honored to have Fritz with us this morning to, to bring the word to kick off our series. Hey, would you guys give him a four corners welcome this morning? I feel like I need to give you a hug right now. Oh, what a beautiful guy. You know, <laughs> my pulpit. 
This is an awesome pulpit. I think it's a music stand. Manhasset music stand made in the USA. Well, I can't help but start by just saying thank you to Joel and Lindsay for stepping out, for leaving a lot of things behind, and coming to Huntsville and starting this church, because you guys are a blessing to a lot of people. And I want to say thank you to the other people that I've gotten to meet here at uh, Four Corners Church. And I want to let you know what a blessing you are. And I want to thank you guys for putting down all the pretenses that come with church, leaving behind religion, and saying welcome to the people that are in this place. What I love about Joel and Lindsay and what I love about Four Corners is a simple thing, and it's called authenticity. They're the real deal. They want you to come into this place and experience the real and living Jesus Christ, and that's why I'm here, and that's why my family is here, because we want to be a part of building that with them. So that's, I just had to say that, because I just can't start uh, without, without that. Um, I do want to tell you just a little bit about myself, because I've gotten to become friends with a few of you, but there's many in this place we've never even talked before, and I hope that is fixed, maybe by the end of the day or the next month or something like that. But my name is Joel Fritz. Uh, got a great first name here. Uh, <laughs> you can call me Fritz if you like. If it gets confusing to just say Joel too often and then Joel turns around and looks at you, uh, that's just fine by me. But we're from Arizona. I was born and raised in Arizona. Went to college uh, north of Chattanooga, so spent a little bit of time out in the south. Met a beautiful southern girl, a Georgia peach. Picked her, pulled her back to Arizona. My, my wife, Kristen, is right over here shaking her head because she does not like the spotlight. But uh, we lived in Arizona for 16 years. I say she served 16 summers in Arizona, if you understand where I'm going with that. And uh, before the Lord let us out uh, it, to be missionaries in Italy for a short period of time. And then we landed here. And I'm going to tell a little bit of that story uh, just a little bit further into the sermon so you can hold on before I uh, share some of the details of why we left. But anyways, that being said, I mean, I'm on the subject of Arizona. I wanted to go ahead and talk about Alabama, Arizona, you know. I just want you to know I'm not just an Arizona boy standing up here. I've got a little Alabama in me now. So I'm going to show my Alabama credentials. I'm going to verify that I've got some Alabama, all right? I got two things for you. Montesano and Waltriana. Come on. The Huntsville natives. I got a Huntsville native back here. Was it good? Was it good? When I got here, we came from Italy. I don't know if you know or not, but Montesano is, is an Italian name, okay? Montesano, that's how it's actually pronounced, but not here. Montesano, I've got it down, perfect. Waltriana, I don't know how many times I said Waltriana before my wife corrected me and I was able to say Waltriana. So I've got a little Alabama going on there. But talking about Arizona, was there a major sporting event there recently? A couple weeks ago? Let's say it on the, the count of three here. Ready? One, two, three. The Phoenix Open. What? You guys did not participate like I expected participation. Right? Okay. So all I wanted to point out is that in Arizona, every now and then we put the Super Bowl and actually one of the largest sporting events in the United States, which is the Phoenix Open. I think 500,000 people come to the Phoenix Open. And we put them all in the same week. So many people were in Phoenix a few weeks ago that people were renting their three-bedroom houses for $30,000 for the course of 10 days. It was unbelievable. But those two sporting events were going on, but I actually did want to start out by talking about the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't know if you guys, when you were watching the Super Bowl, I think it kicked off at uh, 535, uh, but before that, there was this little presentation given right before the singing of the national anthem, and it was about a guy named Pat Tillman. Did anybody see that 15, 20 minutes before the Super Bowl? So you guys know what I'm talking about. 
Pat Tillman is a name that I'm familiar with because I have lived in Arizona for so long, had lived in Arizona for so long. But he was a guy that when 2001 happened and the planes flew into the Twin Towers, he was a professional football player, and he stopped. He paused, and he sought a deeper perspective, a greater view on life, and he decided that it was more important for him to go and join the Army than it was for him to continue with his professional career in football. And it's an extraordinary thing. It's so extraordinary that people kind of look in from the outside and they go, I don't really know what's going on, but I know something right there is special. Something special is happening. This guy is an example for some reason. And so much so that 110 million people watch the Super Bowl. But the people producing it, I think Fox, who owned the rights to it, decided it was worth the time to put about five minutes in there about a guy named Pat Tillman who 20 years ago gave up his life in football in order to do something that he believed was greater. And this morning, that's what this message is about, leaving things behind to obtain things that are even greater. But you know what that takes? Perspective. I don't know how Pat Tillman got that perspective, but he got it. And I'm praying that the Lord would bring us perspective this morning. And so I'm going to pause for just a moment and ask you to think about this. Has the Lord been asking you to leave something behind recently? Because I want to put that, that kind of like bug in your ear right now. I want you to be thinking throughout this message, has the Lord asked me to leave something behind? So that when you hear that voice speak, when that thought comes to mind, when you remember the things that you've been thinking about that you ought to leave behind for something greater, that you would hold on to that. You'd write it down or you'd make a mental note. And that by the end of this service, you would be thinking, what is it? Is that the thing that I'm supposed to leave behind? So that being said, I want to go ahead and jump right into the scripture. We have a scripture here, and this, this message is going to focus on Jesus Christ and an event in Jesus Christ's life. And that event in Jesus Christ's life can be found in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. So I'm going to read it right now, if you'd follow along with me. Matthew 4. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil... I'm sorry, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these, stores, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of, uh, mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Those very first words in what I read. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I want to pause. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. Even though this may be kind of a strange time to pray during a sermon. And I want you to ask with me, could we be led by the Spirit? Lord Jesus Christ creator of the universe, spirit, father, we ask that you would lead us right now. 
It is sincerely my heart's desire. I mean, what do I really have to say except what you will produce through me right now? I pray that my words would be your words, that this section of scripture, Lord God, that we each would be led by your spirit into the understanding that you want us to have, that we would see new things, Lord God, be able to leave behind old perspectives to embrace new ones. Lord Jesus, would you lead us in this moment? It is my sincerest prayer. Amen. I don't know why I feel like that is so substantial, but it feels substantial to me that Jesus was led by the Spirit and that you and I have the opportunity to be led by the Spirit. And so at the beginning of this, that's what I want to emphasize, is that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And I want to create a little bit of context behind what's happening here. Jesus is being led out to go through this uh, section of Scripture that we've just read, this experience of being tempted. But the context into which it falls is a unique moment in the history of the Israelites, the, the, the Jewish people, God's people. They are, now, they are now captives under Ro the Roman Empire, and all kinds of crazy stuff has been happening. But craziest of all is probably the guy, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is not your average person, and I call him an extraordinary person, but uh, I'd, I'd actually call him a not ordinary. He is way out of the ordinary as a person. He's living in the desert, the, the Judean wilderness. He's got crazy hair, just imagine, beard with probably, I don't know, the dreadlocks, the whole deal. And he's eating locust and honey as his food and wearing camel hair. Well, somehow, some way, though this sounds like a person that nobody would ever follow, a person that you probably actually just hand money to if you walk by him, this is a person that has something to say that is so contrary, so, uh, so different than the words that the people of the day are hearing from the religious leaders, from the political leaders, from the friends and family around them, what the culture is saying. He's giving and offering a message that points in a direction that is very different. And it's so exciting to the people. It's a, it's a message of repentance saying, turn, and this is what God actually wants. It's so exciting to the people that they're walking miles outside of the city of Jerusalem, 12, 15 miles, down near a city called Jericho to the shores of the Jordan River. And what's happening with that is that he, uh, John the Baptist is standing there doing what his name insinuates, and he's baptizing people in the River Jordan. And the point is this, it's, it's marking change in our lives. Now, Joel's talking that we're going to have a baptism today. I'm excited my daughter Georgia is actually getting baptized today. She's been begging us for like a year, and we're like, are you sure? Let's just hold off a little while. But finally, we're saying, okay, Georgia's heart is truly telling her, saying, Jesus is my Lord. I want to follow Jesus. Now, this is not a baptism to Jesus at this point. This is a baptism of repentance for the people of Israel. And John's calling it out, and people are coming down. They're saying, I'm making a change. And when they go into the water, they're one person. When they come out, they're headed a different direction. And so this is what John's doing. Well, one day, a man walks to the shores, and John stops everything. He's the main show. Everybody's come to see him, but he stops everything, and he says, that's the person that we need to hear from. That is the person who has the words, the direction that we need to head. Whatever he says, this is what we need to follow. And he states to everybody around, you may think this is a big deal, that I'm a big deal. What's happening right here in this moment is a big deal. And he said, I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes of that man who is approaching right now. And that man wades down into the water and he says, baptize me. And John is reluctant. Who am I to baptize you? And Jesus says, you need to do it so that it fulfills all righteousness. And he baptizes Jesus. And just imagine standing on those banks that day. The next thing that happens is that a voice from heaven speaks. And you hear God speaking. Could you imagine in, in, in Jerusalem that evening when people are talking about this? Oh, did you hear? Oh, somebody said that God, God spoke from the heavens. Uh, you know, oh, that can't be true. The guy, no, I was there. Are you kidding me? I was standing right there. I heard God speak. It's, it, I, I don't even know. I don't have words for it. Sometimes I just wish I could have been there just to witness and to see, not even participate, but just to see what it was like. 
So such an extraordinary event happened, but immediately following that, Jesus didn't do things that we would honestly think he would do. He didn't begin his ministry at that moment. He did something very different. And led by the Spirit, he left that place and he headed out into the same wilderness that John was living in. He headed out into the wilderness and would spend the next 40 days fasting. Fasting and then meeting temptations from the enemy that, get this, he would be the correct representative of Israel concerning these temptations and tests. Now, what am I talking about, you might say? It's very important that in this passage, I mean, I could give you a message right now, and frankly, I did consider it. I had some points, and I'm like, what can we draw out of here? What can we really figure out? What is Jesus teaching us through the three temptations that he overcame, right? And that would be a great message, and we might go out of this place, and we might go, hey, I've got some gold nuggets for the day. We might put those in our little bag, or it might enhance our lives, but the truth is is that I think the Lord has something much deeper for us today. And I'm going to focus on that one thing, leaving things behind, like I told you. But what I want you to understand, in order for us to really get the depth of this, we need to understand that Jesus is not just doing this. uh, it's, It's not just like an isolated instance that he is walking out into the wilderness. He is fulfilling all the prophecy that had been told to the Israelites over the years. He is becoming the new Adam. He is becoming the correct representative, the Israelite that got it right. And so what you'll see is that he goes out into the wilderness for how many days? 40 days. But when the Israelites, if you would remember that story so many years before, after being in bondage in Egypt under an awful Pharaoh, being led out after 10 plagues and into the wilderness by Moses, held up at the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, now they're in the wilderness. If you would remember all that, how many years did they wander in the wilderness? 40 years. And what you begin to see is you look at this and you go one layer deeper, you see that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of all those things. Jesus is, the the Israelites went into the desert for 40 years and got it wrong. Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days and gets it right. So let me just spend a little bit of time talking about the things that Jesus got right. Because we have these three temptations we can pay attention to, and I'll make the quick parallels with what was happening with the Israelites during that time. A little feedback there, huh? So the first temptation is what? Jesus is hungry. He's been out there fasting 40 days. Now, in and of itself, this is an extraordinary thing, and i got to make sure and point it out. How many of you know somebody that has fasted food for 40 days? Seriously. Does anybody know someone? Raise your hands. Okay. I can raise my hand, too. Uh, My cousin, Johnny, fasted for 40 days. I can't believe it. Now, he's an extraordinary person as well. He was also lost at sea for five days in the Pacific Ocean and was found 120 miles off of the island of Hawaii. So he's a a unique person. But what I'm pointing out here is just that simple fact that Jesus went and fasted for 40 days makes him extraordinary. He is, he's out of the norm. I mean, how many people, like I asked, does anybody know? A few hands went up. How many people, like maybe one in a thousand, one in 10,000, one in a million have actually taken the time and fasted, put their kind of like risked that in that way? It's a very unique thing, but he went out, he was hungry, and then he teaches us a new perspective. And that's what this message is about, learning new perspectives, leaving behind old ideas in order that we can capture the ideas that are greater, grander, bigger than really honestly we can comprehend at the moment having to be led by Jesus into these new ideas. So he goes out into the wilderness, and he's going to teach us these new ideas, just like the Israelites took 40 years to learn some of these lessons. Jesus is teaching us these new perspectives so that we can leave behind old ones. And the perspective he teaches us is this. The enemy says, make yourself a piece of bread and eat it because I know you're hungry. And he says, no. Man does not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And you know what the direct parallel is? That for the Israelites, what was that? It was called manna. And that verse is referring to a verse, Deuteronomy 8.3, in which is being talked about manna. And it says, God gave you manna in the wilderness in order that you would learn. It actually says that you would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And I just love that. So Jesus is taking our perspective and he's prying it open. He's allowing us to see something new in order that we can leave the old behind and embrace the new. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven has a different perspective. The kingdom of heaven has a different economy. The kingdom of heaven is different in almost every single way than the kingdom of earth. But it's what we wrestle with every single day. Every single day, we are bound up by the kingdom of earth. Until we get free and our perspective is free and we say we're going to leave the ideas of earth behind and begin to embrace the ideas of the kingdom in heaven. And that's the first thing. So the Jews had to learn that lesson, just like it says in Deuteronomy. And Jesus then passed this test, whereas the Jews, they failed in the wilderness. Jesus passed the test, and then he teaches us the lesson. The second one is this. He says that... uh, Basically, the enemy comes to Jesus and says, nobody knows that you're God, and I don't believe that you're God. Why don't you prove it? Can everybody say, prove it? Prove it, right? I don't remember. There must be a movie somewhere along the line where they said, prove it, because that always sticks in my head, and I want to say, prove it. So basically, the enemy is telling Jesus, prove it. And Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, what is he talking about? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He draws that out of Deuteronomy 6, 16. And in Deuteronomy 6.16, it's talking about the moment in Israel's history in the wilderness where they were getting really thirsty. Fascinating enough, they were moaning and groaning about everything that, uh, that Pharaoh had offered them, everything that Egypt had for them, all the food that they had to eat back when they were in slavery. And they were thinking back to that time, and they're thinking, shoot, we had it better in Egypt than we have it right now in the wilderness. Now, I think that might be hard to get through your mind because it's a little bit hard to get through my mind. But the Israelites at that point had seen, had seen many miracles and they had, had experienced God's grace in very unique ways that many of us or most of us, all of us maybe, have not experienced. But they had that track record and yet still it was hard for them to believe. To believe that God could do it again, would do it again. And they continue to look back to Egypt as the example of where they wanted to be and it's because it's what they knew. It's what they knew it's, it, 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 it was their world. It was where they existed. It, it's their whole frame of reference back in Egypt. And so they continually wanted to go back there. Well, they're sitting in the desert and they're telling God, really, if you're God, why can't you just provide something for us? And it says that they tested them. They were testing God at that point. But that's where the scripture says, and Moses reminds them in Deuteronomy, remember when you tested God? And na- Moses actually named the place test, which is the, the, the word masa. And so he named the place test so that they would all remember and not test the Lord again. But in the midst of that, the Lord provided water from a rock to allow everybody to drink. So the Lord provided for them what they needed in a very unique way. And I've got to tell you one more extraordinary thing. But just to show where our hearts are at as people and the difficulties that we have living in even the kingdom of heaven today versus the, the kingdom of earth. Or whether it be the Israelites thinking about how, how on earth are we going to get water again. Uh, my good buddy, Dr. D., he, I was talking to him, he's an Israel specialist, and he was telling me that, did you know that there's a story about that rock? That the Israelites had such a hard time trusting God that they actually, their, their heritage says that they took the rock with them. 
Now, how many, how many other people in this place are guilty of that like me? When you see the Lord do something special and provide, you're like, that's it, that's it, that's it. Or you experience something in your life and it goes well, then you keep trying to repeat the same process again and again and again. We keep trying to do the same thing because we think that it's always going to come from the same source, but God does not work like that. He does things different every single time. It may be a rock one day. It may be the sand the next day. Who knows? It may be manna appearing in the mornings and disappearing by the evenings. You just don't know what the Lord is going to do. What you do know is that he's good. And so this is another test. The Israelites fail. Jesus passes it. I don't have anything to prove to you, tempter, devil. There's nothing else to say. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. That's it. Done. He passes the test. And the final test says this. The devil takes Jesus up to the top of the temple, and he shows him, and he has him look out over everything. And he sees all kinds of stuff. Uh, it, it may be that he saw people from different nations. It may be that he got high enough where he was able to see different nations, all those sorts of things. But anyways, it says that the devil tempted him and said, I'll give you all these things if you'll just worship me. And he said, no. You shall not worship anybody but the Lord your God. And it says this, away from me, Satan. Now, I love that last one. He's just like, nope, get out of here. Get out of here, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so this is the exact test that the Israelites were put to. And if you'll remember in the middle of the wilderness, while Moses was up on the mountain, what did they do? They built a calf. And they didn't know how to do anything else, it seems like, but to worship the gods that they knew back in Egypt. They didn't know how to do anything else but to continue to do what they had already done. But the Lord wants a new perspective for us. The Lord wants us to be able to leave things behind in order that we can capture new perspective from him, in order that we can walk into the fullness and the things that he has for us to gain more than we give up. Do you believe that's possible? That God wants more for you than you actually want for yourself? That is just hard to understand? And then if you could just see what God sees, that you'd be much, it'd be much easier to leave it behind. I get to fast forward the story of the Israelites into the modern day context. Your, my grandparents have his uh, hands-on experience with one of the greatest events that the Jewish people would ever experience. And that's the uh, World War II and I don't know exactly how to get in this story. It's a little bit difficult. But my story, actually, my personal story actually collides with the people of Israel shortly after World War II. And a young Irish lass named Patricia, who's my grandmother. And if you would remember, I, I don't have time to talk about World War II. You're just going to have to remember back. You're going to have to remember how specifically the Jewish people were targeted for genocide that they were exterminated. But then imagine what it was like to be a Jewish person following World War II. In those moments, there were uh, refugee camps because that's what they needed. Their houses were burned down. Imagine that you're on the other side of Europe because the Germans took you from one place to a completely different side, and you had no way to get home. And so your only place to stay is in a refugee camp. But really, do you have a home to return to? It's questionable even that. Do you have a family to return to? Everybody's lost people. So I can't imagine what it would be like, but in the midst of that, my grandmother's story crosses the paths of the Israelite people. And I can't tell this whole thing. I can't tell it with the detail that I want to. I would really love to. 
But this short story is that she took the opportunity to help rabbis get Jews out of post-war, so not during the war, not, not when everything was happening, but right after the war, to help get them out of Europe in order to go to Israel, which was being established as a brand new nation state. Because Israel didn't exist in that way. They, in fact, it had been obliterated. The Jews had been kicked out of their very own homeland in 70 AD, which was only 40 years after Jesus. They're dispersed, they're removed, the temple is burned, and now they're all over the world. Well, they come back on the scene 2,000 years later when they're targeted for genocide, and now they have no place to go, and the world kind of says they need a a place of refuge. Let's give them the promised land back. I find it one of the most extraordinary things I've ever heard, but my grandmother participated in that. But a choice was presented to to those Jews during that time. Leave everything behind for the opportunity to reestablish Israel as a nation. Gives me chills thinking about it. But I still have to say, that may sound great, but can you imagine being one of those Jews in that refugee camp only thinking about just getting back to your home, getting back to what was familiar, getting back to building your life, rebuilding Europe? I can't imagine. But many of them made the choice to leave, and my grandmother participated in that. And one just real quick story, you know how she'd do it? These rabbis would give my grandmother gold bars, and she would put them inside of a fancy car and take that car into an auto shop. And when that car would come out of the auto shop, it would be filled with passports. And she would take those passports to the Jewish people who had said, I want to go. I want to be a part of history. I want to reestablish the promised land. They would get those passports, and then they would be able to leave Europe and go to Israel only to fight another war only to continue the difficulty and the struggle in order that something greater than themselves would happen. I'm moved by that story. I'm moved by my grandmother. I'm moved by the story, but I want to emphasize those Jews had to, again, leave something behind in order that they could obtain something greater. And finally, I just want to take a moment to share my own personal story. And this is, I I hope I'm not too emotional about this, but it, it, all right. I want to talk to you about, I just want to share with you about Kristen and I's story of leaving things behind. Because it's personal. And in the end, I'm going to ask you, what are you supposed to leave behind? What have you left behind? So you be prepared. Four years ago, a little bit before that, we were wrestling with the fact that we felt like the Lord was calling us beyond Phoenix, Arizona calling us beyond my role as a pastor. Had a pretty great church with pretty great friends and a pretty great role and a pretty great community and a really great house asking us to move on and leave it behind. I don't understand why. I don't fully understand why. I can't even tell you today that I fully understand why. But we felt the Lord leading us. We felt the Spirit leading us. And so we began to talk as a church in 2018. I'm part of the leadership. There's four or five of us, and we'd get together and say, what's the church going to do next year? And we decided on what the church is going to do next year, and we decided we want to see 50 people go out as full-time missionaries for more than a year by 2025. And Kristen and I said, we'll be the first. So we began to plan myself. Plan. I began to plan myself. We began to plan me out of the ministry rotation out of the ministry responsibilities in order that our church could assist us 
and going to Italy to be missionaries. And I have a whole other story about that. Uh, we wanted to go to Peru, and, and where something was more familiar. We've led missions trips there, et cetera, and somehow the Lord shut that opportunity down, and next thing we know, we're meeting, we met a pastor who's planning a church in southern Italy, and we're like, Italy, oh my gosh, nobody's ever going to pay for us to go to Italy. But the Lord did some special things, and he took us over there. And we left behind everything that we knew. We left behind that family. We left behind that community. We left behind those friends. We left behind that house. And we just simply said, Lord, what are you going to do? And we went. Some unique things happened. <laughs> Turned out to be COVID while we were there. Uh, what an experience being kind of the Western epicenter in a foreign land and having to make the decision when your president comes on and says, Americans around the world, come home. We don't know what's going to happen. And my wife, Kristen, and I go, I don't know. I don't think we're supposed to go. I think we're supposed to stay. What an experience landing in Italy and getting a phone call. That one, of, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite friends, uh, guys, a guy that I had spent some time discipling, committed suicide. And I didn't know how to process that. I don't know if I've processed it still to this day. Right when we get there, Two weeks later, we get a phone call that Kristen's dad had stage four, stage four cancer. Whoa. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But we knew we were called. We knew we were led by the Spirit, and we went. COVID came. COVID went. We had the opportunity to meet with people. We had the opportunity to experience it from the Italian side, to walk through something difficult with Italian people. And you know, as I was reflecting upon all this, it hasn't necessarily been the easiest uh, time since then for Kristen and I. And I won't share, I won't share everything. I'll just share, share this. I think Alabama's been a challenge in, in, in certain ways that all of us would, would experience uh, if we made choices like Kristen and I made. Mostly, when you think of your friends, you think of your families, you think of the stability that you had and the place where you, you really invested all of your time and all of your effort, sowing seeds, seeing, seeing things grow, seeing a foundation for your family, all those things. But when you leave it behind, it's not easy because it takes time to rebuild those relationships. It takes time, and sometimes we wonder why we're here. We know why we came here. We came here to be with Kristen's dad in his final months, and we got a real blessed period of time where we got to be with him. And then we asked, should we stay in Huntsville, Alabama? And we feel like the Lord has us here right now. We don't know if it'll be forever, but it's certainly for right now. But it can be confusing. It really can. But in the end, I've learned this. I can be confused, and I can... Think about these lessons even that I've learned here where the Lord gives me glimpses of things that are better and I can choose to leave behind something that's not as good for something better. But the truth is, is that the Lord doesn't just want a little bit. He wants it all. He wants it all. And when he asked us to give up everything, he didn't ask us to give up a little bit. He asked us to give up everything. But why did he do it? He did it because that's what he did. I don't know if you're going to do the worship thing. 
what you guys want to do with that, but you're welcome to do it now. This is so powerful. Philippians 2 says this. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. What's the culmination of this whole thing? This is a message about leaving things behind. And what does God want? He wants us to leave it all behind. Why does God want us to do that? Because it's what he did. I don't know where you are at in your journey and experience with God of the universe. But what I can tell you today is that he gave everything for you and that he loves you and he cares for you. And when you hear words like give everything up, it may not make any sense to you. But if you allow the Lord to begin to give you a new perspective, to begin to show you new things like he showed us in the middle of the wilderness as he was tempted by the enemy, you will begin to understand why he asks us to give things up. And you will begin to understand that anything that you give up today, he has something for you so much better. So my question to you is a very simple one. What is the Lord asking you to leave behind? I'm taking steps towards leaving other things behind today. I've come to realize there are things that I need to write that are upside down in my life. I have those perspectives to change, to leave behind in order to gain that which the Lord has. But what do you need to leave behind? What I want you to remember is simply this. A step toward giving up everything is a step toward gaining everything. Let's pray for me. What I know about your character, Lord is that you are merciful and kind. And sometimes in our human experience, we don't understand what's happening. And it feels like anything but mercy or kindness. And I know that that's what the Israelites felt. And I know that that's what I feel. And I know that I'm comforted that I'm not alone, but that's recorded for me, that that's the human experience, even all those years ago, under extraordinary circumstances. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would expand my horizon, that you would expand the horizons of the people here, that you would help them to see that you are merciful and kind and to believe wholly and completely in you, to know that you have something greater for them than they currently possess today if they would only follow after you. For those people who are hearing your name for the first time or are just coming to know you and to believe that you might be good, I pray, Lord God, that you would show them just how good you are. For those of us who have been walking with you for years and years and years, that you would remind us just how good you are. And, Lord God, that for all of us, we would begin to release things in order that we could follow after you in giving up everything that we would not just be people who are trying to gain for ourselves, but we'd be willing to give up ourselves like you gave yourself up for the betterment of other people, because that is truly extraordinary. 
And Lord God, we want to follow after you for you're the, the most extraordinary person who has ever lived. I love you, Lord. I pray your blessing be upon your people, those who are here today. Lord God, our families, our friends, and we pray that you'd move in this city, that we would be a city that knows who you are and follows in your ways. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Man, what a, what a good word. The, uh, there's a verse in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It talks about how, how we overcome. It says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame by what God did by sending his son and by sharing their story. And there's just something spectacular. There's something amazing about being able to receive what God has done by his grace and then turning around and telling other people about it, about sharing your story. In fact, we're going to celebrate in a few minutes people who have received God's grace, the blood of the lamb, and then they're going to turn around and share their story, the word of their testimony. How do you overcome? How do you overcome in life? How do you move forward while you're in the middle? While you're in the middle. In fact, we sang a song at the very beginning, uh, the last song, last worship song, that we sang, talked about being in the middle when God is no less God, whether in the shadow or on top of the mountain or down in the valley. How do you walk through while you're still in the middle? And that's the series that we're in. That, uh, thank you, Fritz, for opening it up for us. That's the series that we're in, talking about a God who's unchanging and yet still gives out an invitation, an invitation. There's more if you'll trust. And so uh, what, a, what, a, what, a good, what a good message this morning. Hey, I want to uh, wrap up um, before we dismiss. I want to uh, say a couple things. If this is your very first time in, uh, to Four Corners, I want to welcome you. Thank you guys for coming. I'd love to know that you're here. Uh, there's a card right in the middle of your guide. When you came in, there was one sitting in your, in your seat. In there is a... Uh, uh, is a card. If you'd fill it out, just write your name on there and, and put a little bit of information just so we can follow up. Uh, we want to write you a card. We're not going to show up at the house and knock on the door and be like, hey, it's Joel. Not coming to your house. Just want to send you a card. Uh, nice handwriting. My wife writes it, not me. Otherwise, you get chicken scratch. And, um, and so uh, just want to thank you guys for being here. You can put that on there. There's also uh, a space on there for prayer. If you need prayer, put your uh, prayer request on there and we give that to our prayer team. Or if you have uh, something you want to thank God for, it's, uh, we, 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 we call it on that card, it's ask God, thank God. You ask God, this is what I need. But then I want to turn around and thank God, this is what you're doing. We always have things that we need from the Lord. But we want to compliment those with things that we're grateful for because it gives us perspective. It gives us perspective. And so uh, super, uh, super grateful about that. Also, finally, if, if Four Corners is your home, if this is your home church, I want to thank you guys for uh, worshiping in your giving. And uh, we wouldn't be in this space that we are today. We wouldn't have the opportunities that we have today without the faithful generosity of the people of this church. And uh, there's a couple different ways for you to give. On the way out, you can walk out. There's actually a, an offering box in the back you can drop your offering in. You can also give online. You can even text to give. There's a few different ways. But I want to thank you for being generous uh, uh, in that. So, hey, before we dismiss, would you guys stand up with me? Um, I want to pray a blessing over you before we leave. Um, and uh, right after, uh, if you have prayer, personal prayer that you need um, uh, right after service, uh, our, our altar prayer team is going to come forward. 
If you want to just grab somebody that will be up here in the front, uh, they would love to pray with you if there's anything specific. Maybe it's about this message or maybe it's about something different that's uh, on your heart. Uh, we're, we're a people of prayer here at the church, and uh, we want to be able to take your needs before the Lord. So, all right, hey, let me pray for you. I want to pray a blessing for you. Would you hold your hands out like this? Uh, I, I, I can't give, I don't give great gifts, but God does. God has great gifts. In fact, he is the great exchanger. And whatever we end up offering up to him, he'll take that and exchange and give us the greatest gift we could possibly imagine. So with your hands lifted out just like this, now may the God who gives the greatest gift, the greatest gift of peace and joy, who is filled with those qualities, may he fill your life, your soul, your body, your family. And while you are at home, while you are at work, while you are on your way, may you experience the true joy and peace that comes from knowing him as he washes your sins clean and gives you new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, be blessed. We'll see you guys this next week. Hey, don't forget we have baptism service right after uh, in just a few minutes if you want to hang out for that.